Up next, we have the case of Sinjin versus Sinjin. I'll rise, please, as the Honorable Judge Tobacco enters the courtroom. Thank you, Bailiff. Uh, you may be seated, everyone. This is Judge Beauregard Tobacco, and uh, I think you all should know before we proceed, we have been uh, picked up by the Jurisprudence Network. Uh, so there are going to be cameras and microphones in the courtroom. I hope that doesn't disturb any of you too terribly. And we will be even slightly more action-packed than normal this time. Now, I believe we have a case of uh, Sinjin versus Sinjin on the docket. Uh, it's a case of fraud. And I believe we have a Mr. Sinjin and a Mr. Sinjin. So how should we refer to you, gentlemen, to tell you part? Uh, you can call me Mr. Mr. Allen. No, Your, Your Honor, you call him uh, Mr. Sinjin, and you call me Mr. Diogenes Sinjin. Well, well, All right, uh, Mr. Well, Diogenes Sinjin. You could just call me Mr. Allen, because hopefully when this is over, I won't be Mr. Sinjin. Well, if we change your name after this, uh, Mr. Sinjin, we can can call you Mr. Allen, but I think calling you Mr. Allen when your name is Mr. Sinjin is, is confusing. You have a first name? Should we call you Frank Sinjin? Well, no, call me Frank Allen. Well, I might as well call you Santa Claus. That's not your name. That's <sighs> that's prejudice in the case, you see. Fine, call me, just call me Frank, then. How about that, Frank? Well, that's mighty informal, and it is going to discourage me from ruling in your favor, but I can go ahead and do that. All right. Well, don't do no, don't be discouraged. You call me uh, plaintiff. Well, that's very generic, but that might make it simpler for television as well. All right, plaintiff. Uh, what's your What's your case that you're you're plaintiff about? Well, I mean, uh, I, I do you want me to say, or should I turn it over to my lawyer? Well, it depends whether or not you trust your lawyer. I I hope so. Let, uh, judge, this is my lawyer, uh, Matt Matt uh, Matthew Matt Matt Roma. Hi, judge. Roma's the name, lawyer. Uh, this guy, he was called Frank Allen. What happened was this other guy, uh, Diogenes Sinjin, he says he's gay, which he is. Yeah. He's as gay as a maypole. True. And uh, he said that he was dying and he wanted to get married. He also said he had a huge amount of money, which he did. And Frank Allen married him for the money because he wanted to get rich because he thought he was going to die really soon. Then the guy didn't die. So the reason we're suing him is because he should have died like he said he was going to, so Frank could have had the money. Yeah. Well, that seems mighty acquisitive, uh, you, Mr. Uh, Mr. Sinjin. I, I mean, I mean, plaintiff, but uh, I, I can certainly understand your case. Now, uh, now Mr. Uh, oh, Sinjin, Mr. Sinjin, Mr. Diogenes Sinjin, do you, you have a lawyer as well? Well, yes, I, uh, I do have a lawyer, Your Honor, and I also have a lot, of, a lot of money. I wouldn't go to a courtroom without money. As he said, I'm fabulously rich and fabulously homosexual. So, you know, whether you're interested in sexual favors or money, um, I'm, in general, the sort of man one could, one could come to. But, of course, I, I do. I, my, my lawyer objects. I do? Yes, you hear what he's trying to bribe the judge. Crap, he can't do that. Object! Yeah. 
judge, uh, I, I gotta object to this. He's, he's trying to bribe the judge. Well, well I, I don't feel like uh, gay sex would be a, a bribe. I, I feel like, uh, you, well, I, I mean, I'm not going to comment on the money aspect of that. That's, uh, that's, that's really something we should stay outside the court. But he was speaking hypothetically. He was saying if it was the sort of thing that one could be bribed by. Well, exactly right. I don't see what your objection is. Well, he said it didn't work. He said, uh, were you listening, Frank? Uh, yeah, well, of course I'm listening. It's my, this, this is my fate. Yeah, he said it was hypothetical. Well, he was wrong. Uh, he was wrong. I'm being the judge. I, I decided that he, that he wasn't wrong. No, it's the judge. I was, okay. Can we just, fine, let's get to the case. Well, as I was saying, yes, I have a fabulously large amount of, of, of money. It sounded like you liked better money. And, uh, and so I, I just thought that I, you know, I just thought I would let you know that I have it with me. Or access to it with me in, in the courtroom. Your Honor, he didn't even like bring that. a lawyer to the courtroom, so clearly he's making a mockery of this case. No, 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 I... no, 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 dear, I, I did bring a, a, a lawyer. I brought, uh, I brought uh, your your friends, your friend's cat. Hello, everybody. My name is Scape White, and I am a lawyer today. Hello. Uh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, Mr. White. Mr. Uh, White, you... me? Right, that's oh. what I'm talking about, Mr. White. Now, I notice you you said that you're a lawyer. Yeah. Now, as a as a cat, I, I have. You're to, a cat. No, no, no. Uh, uh, as a cat has appeared before me. Oh, that's I'm me. curious. Uh, right, it definitely is you. I have to ask. Uh, uh, have you passed the bar exam? On the way in. You took the exam on the way in. No, I just passed. But that's not what I'm talking about. Have you gone to law school? Wow. Let me tell, let me put it to you this way. Have I won some debates? I don't know. Uh, yes. Well, what I was asking you Guess is, how many percent? I, Guess how many percent? Of what? Of debates did I win? I don't know. Well, I, I, okay, I'll tell you. One hundred percent. But you haven't fought and you haven't been an arguer. I argued in the debates and I won a hundred percent of them. Your Honor, what he's saying is that while he's not a lawyer in the sense that he doesn't have a, a law degree and doesn't know anything about the laws, he's uh, going to argue for me because he's very good at, at arguing. That's true. And he only wants to be paid in cat food. Absolutely. Which leaves all of my money available for, for any other purpose. Well, what else is there besides cat food? Well, there are things like anything actually you look around and see in this room is something other than cat food. Okay, Judge! What is, what is it, Mr. Can, Watt? Can we just move past the fact that I'm a cat and I'm not really a lawyer to let me just be the lawyer, please? Normally I would have to say no, but considering we're on television, I think in this case I would say yes. Thank you. Now, we will show you, Judge! That not only is everything Frank Allen says wrong, he's also probably dumb, and you can already tell he's ugly. He probably owes us money for looking at him because he's ugly. Well, wait a minute. I don't think there's a law where you can charge I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it. That's the trial. Well, be my guest. Okay. What's your opening opening statement? That was uh, my opening statement. I said I'm going to prove that he's wrong and ugly and owes us money. So to summarize here, uh -huh. to summarize, uh, your argument, Mr. Roma, yep. is that Mr. Uh, Mr. This is going to get terribly confused. The old guy over there. Your argument is that he lied about being about to die, so he... Wait, I'm sorry, did you say I'm the old guy or he's the old guy? No, the other guy is the old guy. Okay. You're sort of the middle-aged guy. Thank you. 
Uh, your argument is that he lied about being about to die right. to the middle-aged uh, guy and that he wasn't really about to die and that was fraud and that the, the middle-aged guy over there just wanted to marry a dying man for the money and take advantage of him in his old age. Yeah, that's, that's about the size of it, yeah. And your argument, Mr. White, is yes. that uh, he, the middle-aged guy is, is ugly. Yeah. So he should lose. No, you forgot about wrong. And that he's wrong. Yeah. That's well, important! Well, uh, if you can prove he's wrong, that would definitely win the case for you. Uh-huh. And uh, if you can prove that he's ugly, then, well, when we get to the audience vote, it might win that portion for you. Now, does anybody have any witnesses or evidence they want to bring forward? Yeah, we do. We, yeah, you, uh, yeah we definitely got, uh, we got evidence and everything. Uh, uh, we got, uh, first of all, we got an example of justice right here. Uh, we got a recording of the podcast where this old guy writing a letter, we got a copy of the letter uh, in the emails where he says he's about to die. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, see, uh, 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 is, uh, is your friend that makes the podcast here, White? You call him to the stand. Yeah. Uh, That's Jordan. how it works, you call someone to the stand. Yeah, I'm a lawyer, I'm totally a lawyer, I know it's Jordan, Jordan. Hello. Hey. Yes. Yeah, get over here. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll, should I sit up there? Or? Yeah, 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 get up on the stand. Okay. And uh, swear on that Bible. Uh, well... <laughs> I mean, I don't believe in the Bible. So. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah, but, well, right, I believe that there is a Bible, but I don't oh, think... Oh, right, yeah, yeah, I swear on it. But everything in, in it is a lie, so... Okay, you don't have to, like, talk about if it's a lie, you just have to swear on it. Well, but that's like, I swear on a lie that I'm telling the truth, that doesn't make any sense. All right, what do you want to swear on, like uh, a science report or something? Well, that could be disproven later. And... Okay, so what do you what do you want you want to swear on, like uh, something like an absolute truth, a universe? Yeah, can you produce some absolute truth for me? That's what we're doing right now. That I'm a lawyer, I'm gonna find like the absolute truth of the case. Oh. All right, would you like swear on the case's conclusion? you're going to tell the truth. Yeah, I'll swear on retroactively... Well, how about this? I'll swear retroactively on the things that I'm about to say that the things I'm about to say are true. Okay. Now, you've been getting some letters from this guy, Sidney. Uh, yeah, well, I would assume so. The letters don't come with a picture, but they certainly say they're from him. Did they say he was going to die? They did. They very... Exp- I, actually, let me... Hold on a second. I've got, I've got a couple of them right here. Okay, let's, let's hear this. Now, you get, you get these letters coming in regularly as a matter of course. Well, uh, I mean, y- yes, we, we, we have a podcast and we, and called Cast and Wax, and we say if you write to us at castandwax at gmail.com, we'll read you some letters. So, the fir- so this is the first letter uh, right here that we got from, from uh, Mr. Sinjin, or at least, again, claiming to be Mr. Sinjin, saying, uh, I am terminally ill and about to die pretty goddamn soon. It's a shame, uh, but wanting to contact uh, his, his, uh, his relative Rory, his nephew. All right. Now, uh, you also got a letter that said was from a doctor that said this was true. He was going to die. Do you have that? Yeah, I do. Uh, hold on. It's right here. And what does the doctor say here in this letter? Uh, it says uh, it's from a Dr. Viswanathan Antanarayanan. Antanarayanan, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it says, uh, I have been instructed by a client of mine, Mr. Diogenes Sinjin, to send you a letter clarifying his medical condition. Mr. Sinjin suffers from advanced Bartleben's disease, manifesting as rapid corporeal degeneration of physical wellness. Death is inevitable. In my medical opinion, he is in a fit state for virtually no activities apart from typing and rough gay sex. All right, Your Honor, there we go. Now, you can see that he has not died, that he is still alive. These letters, clearly false. Do you get these letters as a matter of course? Do you get them frequently? Are you getting letters all the time? Letters from Diogenes or letters in general? Letters in general. Oh, yeah, we get all sorts of letters. We got, we got a letter, uh, for example, here's another one I got recently. Uh, it says... Um, 
Jordan D. White, associate editor at Marvel Entertainment and sometimes podcast host. Hi, or hello, rather. Hello sounds more proper than hi, and this is, in fact, a proper formal letter. My name is Susie Sanserif, younger girl reporter named Susie in honor of my Native American heritage, but you're probably not concerned with that, as that is not the reason why I'm writing. My concerns are in regard to the man recently featured on your podcast, an extra-historical man, a Mr. Jean-Baptiste Sanserif. Did you know that my last name is also Sans Serif? If you did not, then you do now, because I've mentioned it in this formal letter twice so far. Does that mean that he and I are related, Jordan D. White? He could be my father, or possibly an uncle, although it's unlikely that he is my mother. I know that because I am excellent at being a reporter. What do you think? Do you know the answer to my questions, Jordan D. White? I suppose I could ask either of my parents if their names are Jean Baptiste, as I assume their last names are Sans Serif also. Thank you for your time. Sue Sans Serif, Younger Girl Reporter, Thorpsburg, Ledger, Star, Bulletin, Journal. So, yeah, we get letters like that all the time. I mean, not that, again, not about that specific thing, but such as that. Letters such as that. Such as claiming they're related to, are, they, are all the letters claiming they're related to strange people that are in your podcast and they're claiming, like, distant relations to each other like that? Not, not all of them, but oddly enough, yeah, I guess we do get that a lot. We recently had our friend, uh, our friend Rory Sinjin died and then, uh, and then he got his cousin came by and... And also, uh, you know, revitalized clone of him and all that. Uh, so, re- kind of regular. So, this woman is saying she's related to this uh, this other guy that's on your podcast. And uh, now, this guy that you got the letter from, uh, Diogenes, he was saying he's related to Rory Sinjin. Yeah, yeah. And they're all trying to get something. Well, I don't think Susie's trying to get anything, but maybe. Oh, yeah. You don't think she's trying to get something. I want to submit a piece of evidence. Uh, now, we intercepted this in the mail. This is an audio letter destined for your podcast. What, I'm sorry, you intercepted my email? Yeah, it's part of the, the law thing. It is? Judge, is that true? No, that, that's not true at all. All right, when I say intercepted, I mean Frank Gable. Oh, all right, uh, fine. Jordan, I'm trying to win. I a- know, just go ahead, go ahead. Ah, uh, hello, this is, uh, this is Jean-Baptiste Sansarap, the greatest extra historian in the world. And uh, by the way, I should let you know, extremely successful one. And if you want any extra historical readings or lessons or any commentary on it, get in touch with me. I'm the expert. And I, when I say the expert, I use the word the, uh, which is uh, the, the proper uh, word for that completely accurately. And I want to tell you that I'm uh, writing in, or well, not writing in, I'm speaking in to your podcast for one very, very important thing. I continually owe these uh, episodes of Any Italic on the show, and I want you to stop playing them at once. There is a woman on this program whose name is Susie Sansera, who I believe has been for years, or at least lately, trying to establish a relationship with me or some sort of family relation so that she can steal my vast wealth that I've accumulated over the years uh, is part of extra history and uh, all of my profits from it. So I, what I want you to do is to cut off this program, no longer air it, no longer broadcast her on something which people I know listen to for extra history related matters. I want you to not give her any more credibility. Otherwise, I will have to take drastic action. And I will tell you there is a world where you don't listen to me. And simultaneously, while I am being showered with affection by beautiful women, you lose all your money and experience a risk of dreadful absolute starvation and well, just another one. So, I hope everything is well with you. I just wanted to check in and tell people to visit my extra history uh, consulting practice and school. Thank you. Have a good day. 
So you uh, you get this kind of letter all the time where people are trying to steal each other's money on the podcast. Was he trying to steal her money? Well, no. It sounded like she was trying to trying to get to get his money. No, but she's not. Uh, she's really a, a nice girl. That's not what it sounded like from his letter. Because he's that guy's a liar. See, you have to develop the ability to tell who's a liar and who's not when you have my podcast, and I think I'm pretty good at it. I'll try to do that when I have your podcast. Uh, so basically, you get a lot of liars writing. Like this guy, you're saying. I get a decent number of liars writing in. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure I always am able to, like, spot them very quickly and discount the things that they're saying. And in this instance, did you determine that Diogenes Singer was a liar? Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, not, not right away, no. But uh, by the end, I mean, yeah. Now, I mean, now I think he's a liar. I see. But you didn't, you didn't warn Frank, when you found out that he was that he was lying. Well, I didn't know. Okay, no, I didn't. When, when I found out, as I mean, when as soon as Frank said this guy's probably lying, then I was like, oh yeah, yeah. That sounds like a really strong and and uh, and powerful endorsement of the fact that he was not telling the truth. Yeah. yeah, no, it's. I mean, now that you once you've, it's one of those things like once you see it, you can't unsee it. I can think of things I've seen that I would say are like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is like that. Like as soon as somebody points out, oh, he's lying, you're like, oh yeah, now I everything he says sounds like he's lying about. Right. So you would say, in your honest opinion, that this guy's a liar. Yeah, about dying, yeah. All right. Uh, case closed, or whatever you say. No, the question no. Simply... You don't case closed. I get to talk to him now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm, my case is closed. Why don't you uh, talk to him? Okay, fine. Hello, Dad. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you, Skate? Good. Uh, so I got some questions about... Dadly syndrome. Yeah, that's, that's what we're here to talk about. Those letters where you said about... He's, he's dying. Do you have those? Yeah, I just I just read them. This is the first one. Yeah, what does it say? I well, it says I'm terminally ill and about to die pretty goddamn soon. It's a shame. Oh, so is it your opinion that Diogenes Sinjin is not going to die? Well, I mean, no. I I mean, I, he's going to die at some point. Yes. Yeah, and isn't it, wouldn't you say too soon? Well, what do you mean too soon? Well, like I'm sure he would rather live much longer, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, that, that's absolutely the truth. I would rather live very long time. I like being alive quite long. Right. So so if he says he's going to die pretty goddamn soon, you should be like, wow. Well, I, but, that, I, it's, but it certainly implies that he's going to die very soon. Okay, but what about that letter that you got from the doctor? Well, okay, the one from the doctor. That's the second one I said, yeah. Uh, it, uh, rapid corporeal degeneration of physical wellness. Death is inevitable. Yeah, that, but that's... Isn't that like, basically... Isn't that basically everybody, you know... We all get a little bit older every day, and then closer to death that we're all going to die. Well, technically, but that's not... You don't need a doctor to tell you that. But but he he had one, so he might as well. I don't think that's... Your Honor. Yes, what is it? I I mean, I think this lawyer is... Well, I think he's... I mean, uh, what he's saying is, and I'm just going to try and clarify here, what what I think the cat is saying is... The, the letter claims that death is inevitable. Are, are you claiming that that is not true? No, of course death is inevitable. But when a doctor says death is inevitable, it sounds like they're, you know, saying the person's going to die soon. Well, well, regardless of whether a doctor said it, what we have to look for is the truth. Uh, now, w- w- would you say that the doctor was telling the truth or lying when she said that death was inevitable? I- <laughs> when she said that death was inevitable, that is true because there's nothing that Mr. Sinjin can do to stave off death forever. And do you think he was experiencing degeneration of physical will? Yeah, he's old, and so every day he gets even older than he is old. I uh, see. So you're saying that that was true. <sighs> That's Yeah, but again... Dad! 
you should stop the dial. This is the truth. Frank Allen knew that every single person gets older and dead, and he married them anyway. All right, now, we, before we continue, we have had this thing brought into evidence of the question of these two sans serifs. No, that's nothing it, to do with it. It's, it's not well, this, this, it's on the record now. We have one saying that he's the true sans serif, and we have this other woman saying that she's a sans serif, and he's saying that she's trying to get his money. This is something we do have to address. Now, uh, which, now, Mr. White, do you, have you had these sans serifs on your podcast before? Uh, yeah, no, they've both appeared on my podcast. Uh, Jean-Baptiste is the, the French jerk that you heard. French jerk. And who is Susie Sanceri? Uh She's a younger girl reporter. Than who? Than who what? She's younger than who? Well, she's probably younger than a lot of us. Well, I'm, I'm pretty old. Yeah, I mean, and I'm, probably, I'm 33, I, but... I mean, you could be younger or older than that. That's pretty young, but... I mean, what I'm saying is, you said she's younger. You, you're, no, what, I you can't be younger or older. I have to be the exact age I am. You are, but I'm saying a, a person could be younger or older than 33. Right, but probably not Very a girl. If, I mean, unless you're sexist and you're calling a, a woman a girl. No, well, if you're a girl, you're still a girl. You're probably not 30. But 33, you're probably a grown woman by then. Yeah, I would say. I'm not. Are you calling me a sexist? Uh, no, I'm, I mean... No. Good, good. So, who were you referring to when you were saying she's younger? Oh, you know, I think she's usually talking about uh, Annie Italic, who is also a girl reporter. And how old is she? Um, indefinite age. You mean you don't know how old she is? is what yeah, but if I say indefinite age, it's more scientific. I don't know exactly how either of them is very scientific, but all right. Your Honor, Your Honor, I think there's an easy way to clarify this. What is that easy way? Do you, Bob... Have any record of any italic on your person at this moment? Uh, I mean, yeah, I have an episode of her show that was going to go on the podcast this week. All right, well, why do we enter this into evidence to clear up this whole matter? Uh, no, 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 I don't think we should. Why not? Uh, you object. My lawyer objects. Uh, yeah, I, I object. This won't clear up the matter. This will just uh, make it muddy. How will it make the matter muddy? Well, uh... We're trying to discuss the, the whole matter of this guy lied, and what does it have to do with Annie Italic? I'm afraid this has been brought into evidence. There's now a dispute over who is the real sans serif. <sighs> we have to get into the bottom of this. All right, I'll just, I mean, I'll just play it. It's fine. I have it here on my iPhone. Thank you. Well, let's plug in the iPhone to the court iPhone plug-in player, and we'll hear it. Italic Girl Reporter, Episode 11, Poetic Justice, by Pete Bowers and Charles Berman, with Rich Bellin and Daniel Schwartz. Dateline Bobsburg, from the desk of Annie Italic Girl Reporter, high atop Henderson Towers in Center City, in her office of the Thorpsburg Ledger Star Bulletin Journal, we bring you the news of the world. Commissioned by seasoned newspaper editor Eugene Seabrook, Annie Italic tracks the most thrilling events of our day with the determination of a bloodhound, poised notebook in hand for the moment of her big break. The interesting thing about being a reporter is nothing, especially today. Today was very boring. I went to work. Something probably happened. And then work was over. So after a mind-numbing day at the office, we all ended up at the bar for some more mind-numbing of a more practical nature. Don't worry, Annie. I learned all about these places. As a reporter, it's important to know these things. You might meet a sorcerer or a tipster who wants to meet you in a bar, but you should watch out because they're full of people trying to pick you up. If you wave your hands and whistle like this... Yeah? This person will come over to serve you. I'd like a drink, please. Barkeep. It's Tony. What do you want? I said, I'd like a drink! 
Please, barkeep. But now I know you're Tony the barkeep. What drink? Well, what's in a, my usual? What are you talking about? If you were a good bartender, then you would know what my usual is. It says so right here. Just pour some vodka in a Shirley Temple. Thanks for ending that, Harvey. Okay. Snakebite for Harvey, Captain and Coke for Annie, Guinness for John, and a Shirley Temple Black, I guess, for her. Be right back. Okay. So I was supposed to be reporting on the mysterious appearance of potholes around the city, but it was just some guy jogging who sweats acid. That was today? No, nothing happened today, remember? It was extremely boring. This was last week. Wow. How did I miss this? You could be a supervillain with the power to sweat acid. I turned it into potholes around city not caused by inclement weather. Gene said it was bad for public health to discourage jogging. Wow. That's... Wow. This drink is almost certainly better than a usual. I want to have this every time. Thanks, Harvey. Oh, yeah. It's terrible. Then there was this time with the paperclip factory and the giant rat of Sumatra. I can't believe Gene Seabrook. Shh. The, uh, hot guy is coming on stage. And, uh, to kick off our open mic night, Dean Dean, the comedy machine who I'm given to understand is a comedian? Yeah, okay, give it, give it up if you feel like it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. See, there was a guy who came home and found his wife cheating on him with another man, and he was very angry because he didn't want her to, so he shot them both. Then he looked at her, and it turned out not to be his wife, and he didn't know what to do, so he went to a bar and started telling jokes. And that was uh, Dean, Dean the Comedy Machine. Sorry we had to cut you off, but we've got at least one other act to go on tonight. <sighs> and that's my time. You've been a great audience. Hide. He's coming over. Where do I hide? It's a bar. Ah, reporter and his plucky friends. It's a pleasure to see you here at a bar without me ever ordering you to do it. Actually, we didn't. Know how skilled I would be at infiltrating your secret den of social leisure? Of course not. It's good to interact with you on a non-performance-related way. Now, I think it'd be funny if you were all to watch the next act and write a story about him. Dean, you know we're off the clock right now. Oh, thank goodness I always bring my laptop with me everywhere I go. As every good reporter knows, you should always be prepared to cover a story at any time. Annie, you always say that you're a good reporter. Where's your laptop? In my lamp. It shows up every time I sit down. You can't seriously expect to show up while we're having a drink and tell us to report on this... Reporters should always expect the unexpected. Yeah, I was expecting you to act normal for once. Now I know why that was unexpected. Oh, Harvey! That's one of several areas that's usually considered wrong to grasp without being asked to first. Sorry. Heh 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 heh. He's coming on now. An inspiring story. The world's only robot poet. And, uh, okay, what is this? This is uh, the world's only robot poet, author of incredibly lyrical and uh, emotional verses for a a robot that really touch us to a certain extent. Even though he's a robot, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Thank you for listening to my robot poetry. I call this poem Poetry Program Number Four. Commence begin sequence. Babe, I am tortured by being made of metal, like a hubcap or nuclear warhead or kettle. 
my feelings are as complicated as a tangled cable. I feel as if my hard disk boot reliability is unstable. This sounds like Johnny wrote it. That's what Johnny would say. Where is he? He developed a phobia of boss last week. Thankfully. Too many hands in the bowls of peanuts. You know, I never really thought about that before. And I'm not going to think about it again. Pass those over, would ya? Stirring. Let's get reporting, reporters. I'm an editor. Can I go? I'll just be rewriting it later. Why exactly are we supposed to be writing about this guy? He's a robot, writing poetry. He's famous. This has never happened before. Robots don't have the emotional sensitivity. Every other attempt at robot poetry has turned out terrible. It'll be great publicity for this bar I regularly perform at. Dean, this is pretty terrible. For a person, for a robot, it's incredible. Okay, I see that you may have a very racist point. Now could you please just go and let us enjoy the evening? At night, when we're not supposed to be working. And deprive myself of the privilege of seeing you all in action? Not on your life. And no. Usually I only encourage people to go on fool's errands and then sit back while they waste their time and criticize them when they're done. Usually it's with comedy now, with reporting. I've discovered I mentor people at things I can't even do. Harvey, if someone says not to do something and you keep doing it, that's not polite. I'm being persistent in asking you to stop because a good reporter has to be persistent. Harvey... Really? Less groping and more editing, Harvey. Find out what the facts are so you can check them later. I can handle myself. And her. Look, guys, I'll take the fall. This guy has no sense of meter or scansion and demonstrates complete metaphorical disunity, but I don't mind talking to him. Look, if Susie's typing, I don't care. Maybe people really like crappy robot poems. Hey, some people aren't any smarter than Gene Seabrook. Hey, Tony, can you get the robot poet over here? For a robot, he was pretty shoddy looking. The joints were all coming apart and it looked like his paint was coming off. He might almost have been made out of cardboard boxes. For a robot with a poet's soul, he just had black holes for eyes. But I guess as crappy a poet as he was, he was also a pretty crappy robot. Hello everyone. I am the famous robot poet. Alas, I am only appreciated due to my robot nature. A trick of birth or manufacture, I guess. If I was human, my genius would go, sadly, neglected. Okay. We're a bunch of reporters from the Legistar Bulletin Journal being forced to work when we're supposed to be off. Mind if we ask you a few questions? Okay, I am programmed to respond to queries from humans. Where do you get your ideas? That's okay. I get this all the time. I have observed that human creatures like to try to understand the nature of genius. I get them. Uh, the same place you get your ideas. You mean the gutter? What do you mean? I am a robot, so I take everything super literally. Listen, just ignore him. What I'd like to do is... Here's your usual, Edgar. Screwdriver. Thanks. Hold on. I've never seen a robot drink before. It is my muse. Most great writers are alcoholics. Okay. Physiologically, it doesn't seem very... According to my research, which I've been doing while we've been talking, there has never been a robot poet before. So, where do you like to go on vacation? I only go on vacation away from my human oppressors into creative retreat. So you drink and write poetry. Is there anything else you do that other robots don't... I'm going to miss you now, Harvey. 
According to my sources, that's an appropriate action in a situation like Don't this. Don't mace inside, are you crazy? Not inside! Ever been maced before? Well, you know what happens when you mace somebody in a bar with central air? You mace everybody in the bar. And I reminded again why not to hang out with Susan Cecilia Sans Serif voluntarily. The result was a little bit of, what's the word? Cacophony, broken tables, shattered glass. Needless to say, there was a lot of screaming. But there was one scream that was particularly interesting. Ow! Ow! This is painful to my circuitry. My transistors are malfunctioning. Jesus f**k! Motherfucker! Oh, Christ! Ah! Ah! Ow! You're right! This hurts like hell! Wait, wait a minute! You felt the mace? Guys, you know what this means? Get him. Where is he? What does it mean? Edgar the robot, he's not real. Of course he is. We were just talking to him. And this is much more painful than it was in my self-defense class. Not a real robot! Find him! You'll never catch me! You're blinded by mace! Oh yeah? Well, you'll never get away. You're blinded by mace. Damn you, Annie Italic Girl Reporter! And your meddling friends, too! My plan has been foiled! My genius went unappreciated when I was merely a great human poet. Me and my cunning robot disguise would have gone undetected for years, bringing me fame, fortune, and recognition of my great poetry had you not revealed me! I'm glad I missed everybody instead of just Harvey. Something bad happened to him, so he learned his lesson about where you're allowed to touch people. And something bad happened to you, so you learned your lesson about lying. Exactly. Now let's feel around in the dark for him. <laughs> Harvey! You didn't learn your lesson yet. So, when we could all see again, we wrote up a good story about a man fooling everyone into thinking he was a robot poet. For once, Gene published the facts. In my story, no robots write poetry at all, set back the robot equality movement for 20 years. And in the interest of self-defense, we took away Susie's mace. An interesting, not-so-happy ending to the story. The bar ended up naming a drink in honor of Susie. It's called a My Usual. In that episode of Annie Italic, the announcer was Mickey Weissner. Annie Italic was Angela Schwartz. Susie St. Serif was Cheryl Casey. Tony was Julia Kelly. Harvey was Jordan Randall. John Impact was Ed Jones. The bar owner was Pete Bowers. Dean Dean the Comedy Machine was Tariq Gillespie-Speller. And Edgar Allan Polonium was Jacob Thompson. Be seated. Well, I, I thought that was fantastic because it had the word justice in the title. And that's what we're here to determine. But, so Susie St. Serif doesn't see. She's certainly in there. She doesn't sound like she was trying to steal this this guy's money, but it, that, that certainly helped clear it up. Now, um... Thank you. The defense rests. Well, okay. This isn't really where you where you rest. Well, I, I rest a lot. I just... I can just take a quick nap. Oh, because you're, you're a cat. Yeah, yeah. Like a cat well, you can You can rest like that. When you say you rest in court, it usually means it usually means something else. Oh, when I'm around the house, a lot of times I would just declare, I am resting now. 
Okay, well, that's fine. You just don't need to declare that. You just want to be awake while we get you a pot of the cake. All right. Well, Mr. Roma, do you have any other anything else to bring in to Ev? Yeah, you're supposed to put me on the stage. Yeah, well, I want to put... Uh, I was going to do that. Okay, good. I know how to do this. Good. Don't be a backseat driver. I'm sorry. Uh, Miss, Mr. Roma, are you, are, you being, are you discussing with your, with your client, or do you, do you need a moment before we continue? No, no, I'm bad. He's, he's, he's telling me what to do. He's kind of bossy. Uh, you're, my, but, you're, my, you're my lawyer. Exactly. So you do what I say. What? I'm paying you. To know about law and tell you what to do. Well, look, just go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I want to put Frank Allen on the stand and talk to him. Well, all right, Mr. Allen, would you uh, swear on that Bible there? Sure, I swear. Yeah, you have to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Oh, I so will. So help you God. Yep, that's what I'm doing. This is going to be super true. All right, all right, all right. Let, let's continue. Mr. Roma, you, you may begin. All right, uh, Frank Allen, so uh, when uh, you got this letter that we've established, uh, Jordan D. White... Uh, didn't really point out to you that it was a lie, even though he has a good sense of when things are lying. He, right. He got this letter, and uh, when, you, when you heard it, you heard the guy was interested in it. What was your first reaction? Well, the first letter just said he was, he was dying, and then he, he had a lot dying. of money. He had a lot of money. So how did you react? To well, I, I jokingly, well, I was joking, kind of joking on the square. I said, are you interested in gay marriage? Because um, I was thinking that way I would get his money. All the money. And he would die. Like, joking, so you were saying, this is supposed to be funny, the idea that I would marry a guy just for the money. Right, well, like I said, I mean, I was joking on the square, in that I was like, I'm joking, this is, I would never do that, but would I? Like, maybe, you know, maybe I would like the money. So then he wrote back and said, I am interested in, in, in gay marriage, I would be happy to, uh, I actually have that letter here, hold on one second. Uh, yeah, I'm, it's, he said, uh, he said, how did you know I was interested in gay marriage? So many torturous years, I've spent fantastically rich, closeted gay man due to the backward mores of society. It was wonderful when gay marriage became legal in some states, but now I am old and terminally ill, so I feel that no one would want to marry me. And, uh, uh, you know, I wrestled with it a bit because I said, well, do I want to gay marry someone when I'm not gay just to have their money? And I ended up deciding yes. But I think I was very forthcoming about the fact that I was just in it for the money. So there was no fraudulent behavior on my part. So as long as you're just, as long as you're just in it for the money, it's morally okay. Well, I, again, I said I was in it for the money. When you, uh, when you married him, was there like vows? Oh yeah, we did vows. Okay. What, what was your vows? Well, you want me to... Yeah, the vows about just being in it for the money. Ah, uh, well, it's hard to remember our vows. Okay, all right. Uh, that's fine. So we'll skip that. But that was mostly about being just in it for the money. I'm sure I clarified that, but... Yeah, yeah. I definitely know he was aware of that at some point. You were like, just so you know, I'll marry you, but just for the money. Yeah, and because he was always talking about gay sex, and I was like, well, not my thing. So you were being very clear when you were saying, you were like, well, and that was clearly... I no. think it was clear that when I said well, it meant, well, that's fine for you to think that, but that's not what I'm interested in. All right, so you said it, and then how did he make clear to you that he was about to die? Well, you just heard those letters. He constantly was talking about being terminally ill. Um, you know, I, I don't think I'll have that much more time left. Oh, we're going to have all this rough gay sex, and hopefully it won't kill me, but it might because I'm, you know, so frail. Um, so he clearly wanted to have a lot of rough sex. Oh, yeah. That was... He's, he hasn't been fraudulent about that. So I, he has had lots of rough sex. I think we can just leave it at what I said, but what I'm saying is... Oh, is, is that something you're uncomffortable talking about? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, now, because it looks like he might have been familiar with you already, as you were a commentator on um, Toll Watch. When you say familiar, do you mean... He might have heard you on 
Oh, you meant like that kind of... Okay, I thought you meant... No, 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 no. Just because that... He might have been familiar from shows that talk about that. Right. Yeah, he might have heard of my name, yeah. yeah. So, now, you knew he was going to die because he told you what, what... What illness did he tell you he had? I believed he was going to die because he told me he was terminally ill. Uh, which, I believe the, the, beli- the disease that he said was um, Bartleben's disease. And what, what exactly is that? Well, I'm not a doctor. I... I don't know. But you asked him what the symptoms were. You looked it up. Or... No, I just assumed. Why would he lie about something like that? Well, maybe because he, maybe he would lie about that because he actually just wanted to have all this sex. Oh, th- I mean that is why he lied about. No, yeah, yeah. I'm look. I'm he did lie, and that is why he lied. But I, I being a naive ingenue that I am, did not think of that. And you had no reason to believe he would lie. I had no reason to believe he would lie. I it assumed... wouldn't even occur to you someone would lie about that. No, why would someone be so uh, lying-ish about that when I, here I was being above board. I don't like men, but I will marry you for your money. You basically just wanted to give him sex so that you could get I, well, I didn't want to give him sex, but I was willing to You were to willing give him, to give yeah, him sex. willing. So you could get money. It wasn't, yeah, it was essentially a type of willing. Yeah. And you must have, that must, you must have put yourself way out there to do that. I mean, because most people consider that prostitution. It must have been really, you know, hard for you to do that. Uh, and, and it, you find if out what that, I did is prostitution, then all marriage is prostitution. So I just want to say that. Yeah, it is. Well, no, it's not. It's a legal binding. Right. My point is, we went, we entered into the legal bounds of matrimony, and he did so, having made me understand that he would not be alive for very much of our marriage, and he has not come through on that promise. He is, in fact, still here. And that is the problem. He should have been dead long ago. Right. Well, I think it's pretty clear the way you were deceived, Judge. Anybody else want to talk to this guy? I want you guys, you have to let me talk to every witness. Yeah, only if you want to. No, I want to. we do have to let him talk to all the witnesses he wants to talk to. Yes. Yeah, now before we get to you talking to him, though, Mr. White, I think we need to clear up the matter of these vows, because it doesn't seem like Mr. Allen could remember them very well. And, of course, if he told uh, Mr. Sinjin, well, it didn't seem like, I shouldn't call you Mr. Allen, uh, Mr. Sinjin, I'm sorry. It didn't seem like Mr. Mr. Sinjin was remembering them very well, but if he told the man who already was Mr. Sinjin that he, you know, loved him and wanted to marry him for his love or sex or anything like that, that he, you know, we might have another case of fraud right there. Well, Your Honor, thankfully, my, uh, my client brought this recording of their wedding vows. I could play it. Well, that's, that's perfect. Yeah, I have my own iPhone, too. You see, it's very nice. Oh, well, yeah, why don't we plug that into the extra nice iPhone cord plug? Yeah. And, uh, well, let's hear this. Frank. All right, and since nobody had any reason that they shouldn't get married, uh, Frank Allen, uh, why don't you, uh, you, you wrote your own vows, didn't you? Yeah, I did, absolutely. Well, I guess I'm useless here, aren't I? Oh, I mean, I wouldn't go, say go that. Go ahead, do your vows. All right. Uh, Diogenes, uh, I've known you a very short amount of time, but I anticipate that you will make me very happy, uh, for the rest of my life as a result of us getting married. I'm thinking specifically of one way, but hopefully the other stuff won't be, you know. I mean, I think I think it'll balance out in the positive side, is what I'm saying, and I, I, that's why I am only too happy to marry you today, uh, because, you know, I think, I think we have a bit of an understanding as to how this is going to work for both of us, long-term and short-term, uh, respectively. So... I take you to be, as a result of that, my husband. Frank, 
that warms my heart so much. And I would just like to say that it's been so many years, so long, that I waited miserable while society frowned on my being an extremely rich, wealthy, gay man. And now that I've found you, everything has turned around. I'm looking forward to so many mornings, afternoons, evenings, overnights of such extremely rough, rough gay sex. It can't help be the greatest thing that's ever happened to either of us for the rest of my life. And that might be a long time or a short time. Probably a short time because, as you know, I'm extremely, extremely dying. But who knows? Maybe I'll stop dying and it'll be a long time. Which would be even better. Well, but probably a very, very short time because of how dying I am. Right. Let's make it a great last, however long. So, of course, I take you right by the balls as my husband. Okay. So, boy of the power vested in me, I hereby pronounce you man and husband. So, as you can see, clearly, my dude said... Maybe a long time. He did seem to say maybe a long time. Now, let's continue uh, looking into the evidence because, you know, he, he said maybe a long time, but Mr. Mr. Allen, you, you seem to indicate one thing. We don't know what that one thing was. Maybe well, there's the money. There's the money. Well, the only thing I heard specifically mentioned was sex. I didn't talk about sex. Oh, really? Well, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure, yeah. He talked about sex a lot, but I, I was kind of, you might have heard kind of a, uh, like a gurgling sickness uh, sound. Your Honor, why is the cat interrogating the witness when he's not on the stand? Well, because he is on the stand. Oh, wait. Yeah, you're right. Keep going. Uh, are you sure you're a lawyer? Yes, I'm a lawyer. Yeah, the law school said I was a lawyer. They totally said I was a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. I was talking to him, but okay. What is this, Alan? Are you doubting me as a lawyer? No, I'm. I, but you, I'm sitting in the stand, and you're saying I'm not on the stand. I was talking like the Stephen King book, The Stand. Oh well, I'm not in that. Yeah, you're like you're not in The Stand. Objection! I've never read The Stand. You can't read. You're a cat. I know. Okay, so why are you objecting? What are you I object to talk about things I can't read. But that's like all the evidence. Your Honor, I'd say restricting everything with words. I don't think we can really do that because we'd have to write that we were stricking it, and if we write that we were stricken it, then we would have to strike that. Just, uh, okay, just everything by Stephen King. Well, I don't think Stephen King is really relevant. Let's 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 strike everything by Stephen King. Okay. Do you want me to be my, your lawyer? Or... Yeah, I, of course. I need a lawyer, so... All right, then let's keep going. Your Honor, I would like to move that he keeps his cross-examining. All right, I, I think I can go with that. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, you talk about sex all the time. No, no, I didn't. I, that was him. I was making the gurgling sick sound like I don't like the sex and I was going to you know, barf. Your Honor, I think I think I have another question for Frank Allen. What's your question for Mr. Allen? Mr. Frank Allen, can you read? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Can you read everything? I mean, probably. Like, why? Why wouldn't I? Oh, oh, what if it's not in English? Yeah. Okay, I can read in English. Things that are not in English, maybe, maybe I can't read. Can you read in Etruscan? What? Etruscan! Judge, this doesn't have anything to do with anything. Oh, well. Well, there is legal words you can use if you want to. You know what I'm talking. This is like, uh, it's crap. Objection! Okay, what's your objection? He is calling crap on me. Sustain, he is calling crap, and this, he, uh, this, there's no legal provision for crap, so I'm going to have to ask him to be quiet. Thank you. 
Now, Mr. Allen, do you or do you not know about a story about somebody reading something in Etruscan? Uh, I mean, yeah, I get, I know a story about it. Okay, well, tell it. Well, uh, it goes a little like this. Kentwood, Episode 6, Etruscan Twist, by Jacob Thompson. I'm Dan Sebago, and were I to attempt to pin down a golden age in the career of Professor Eldridge Kentwood, I would put it somewhere between the late 1980s and the turn of the century. The very first cloud on the horizon, although I did not recognize it as such at the time, was the resignation of Bertrand Wig as the head of university security. An expert on law enforcement he was not, but above all else he possessed the knowledge of when to defer to the expertise of Professor Kentwood. His successor, Doug Melligan, did not share this ability. This story is from the early days of Mr. Melligan. Professor Kentwood, Doug Melligan would like to talk to you. Is that the name of that drifter who is placed in command of campus security? I believe, Professor Kentwood, that Doug Melligan is no mere hobo. You may, in fact, need to come to his office. Ha! The security office lies in the bowels of the events center. Only a case of uncommon interest or mortal peril could coerce me to enter that den of sports, fast food, and undergraduates. He seemed very firm on the point of refusing to meet you at your house. I did not spend the vast fortune awarded to me by the Jamaican government on a three-story stone Victorian mansion just to run silly errands in the darkest corners of this institution. Eldridge Kentwood is an easy man to find, and from the looks of Melligan, he could use the exercise. A bit later, I relayed the message to Melligan. And in conclusion, Professor Kentwood told me to tell you that he believes that the exercise involved in walking to his office would, quote-unquote, do you some good. (sighs) I was afraid it would come down to that. Why don't you just give me his private phone number? The two of us really need to clear the air. Very few people have Professor Kentwood's number. Don't take it personally. He should see me because I am the law on this campus. And I do choose to take it personally. Uh, Mr. Wig had no problem with Professor Kentwood's methods. I also had a problem with Wig. Look, I'm trying to be reasonable. Mr. Melligan, is there a problem here? Not at all. This is just Dr. Sebago, who has decided to represent Dr. Kentwood. You'll have to learn how to deal with Dr. Kentwood if you stick around here. If that is Dr. Eldridge Kentwood, he is a famous in Italy. Are you talking about that time he solved the mystery of who kidnapped that soccer player? Are you from Italy? The sport is called football, and yes, I'm a study abroad. The first thing you need to know, Fran, is that if you talk to Sebago, you might as well be talking to Kentwood. And you don't want to talk to Kentwood unless you have to. I'd like to meet this Kentwood. You really don't. The last thing that I want to do is go to that creepy cobweb mansion that he built right next to the friggin' Bursar's office. Sebago, you can tell Dr. Kentwood that he is a humorless, grouchy clown who can expect no help from me when he gets himself in a pile of trouble. I knew that Kentwood wasn't going to like this. And, indeed... What? Why no sense of humor? My sense of humor is merely too subtle and cruel for most to detect. Mr. Melligan did indeed seem rather set in his position. 
On the other hand, there was an Italian girl who was working for him who seemed interested in coming here. Could you be so kind as to provide a physical description of this girl? She was rather striking, about five foot six inches tall. Uh, Dark hair, dark brown eyes, wore all white, and had a small dimple on her chin. What part of Italy was her accent redolent of? I can't say offhand. (sighs) Oh, Daniel, when will you cease to be hopeless? What little you could tell me will nonetheless prove useful. It appears that my feud with the World Language Association may be at last coming to a head. (coughs) Absolutely, my pet. You make a splendid point. And you will need to guard this office. Uh, I don't know the meaning of this. I did not expect you to. Just be aware that the next time Melligan demands my attention, he shall get it. Whether he wants it or not. Before long, Melligan called back, as he was wont to do, and Professor Kentwood surprised him by acquiescing to his request. At last we meet, Professor Kentwood. I have no idea why you insist on pestering me, and I've given you this opportunity to prove that you aren't merely wasting my time on a power trip. I just wanted to tell you in person that while I'm at the school, I'm not going to have uh, patience with Eldridge Kentwoodism. What is that, pray tell? It's the idea that somebody other than the police or the administration is going to be in charge of this place. It's you taking over this school by blackmailing everybody. I suppose that you enjoy inventing pseudo-academic jargon rather than trying to solve problems. Have you considered teaching at this school? Your puffery is being wasted while you break up beer bashes. Dr. Kentwood, I need to say something. Wait, Daniel. I'm hearing this man out. I'm not taking any of your crap. All right, Daniel. What is it that you have to tell me now? It just seems that after we left your mansion, Francesca Baroni was caught trying to break into your office. You know her, don't you? Of course. She works for me. I can't believe she'd do that. Perhaps Professor Kentwood has a ready explanation. Damn it, this is exactly what I just warned you not to do. Daniel will bring Miss Francesca to this office momentarily, but first I shall explain why she attempted to disturb my place. You are disturbed. I rather disagree. When I am disturbed, I perform actions such as this. Give me a bag of shredded paper. Were you a gentleman or a scholar of languages, you would be weeping and desperately trying to reassemble these torn scraps. Since I am obviously not a gentleman or a scholar, explain why I should care about this, you limp-dicked asshole. I'll return Miss Baroni to this office in a few minutes. Splendid. That should be sufficient for me to provide an explanation. I guess you win. I've walked right into your trap, and you have no idea how much I want to kick your f***ing ass. Ahem, language. As you may have already guessed, I have long had a feud with the language magazines the world over since they first rejected my essay. Hurry up and finish your story. My essay covered in exacting detail how the Philadelphia accent is not only grating to the air, but a threat to the integrity of the English language as a whole. The elimination of that diabolical dialect in all who speak it would purify our culture. In spite of how much I never want to talk to you again, I'm going to stay at this school long enough to have a chance to punch you in the face. Do not interrupt Professor Kentwood. 
Well said, loyal servant. That bag of paper represents revenge. I chose to retaliate against those journals by eliminating a precious language. Are you on drugs? Perish the thought. I, Mr. Melligan, am the only man alive who understands Etruscan, the ancient pre-Roman language of Italy. I have destroyed all of my records and cast this tongue into eternal darkness. When Dr. Eldridge Kentwood is snubbed, he takes his secrets to the grave. Daniel, bring in Miss Baroni so we may hear a sampling of her anguish. <laughs> I have a bell to Italy. Now Fran is crying. I don't think you could have actually made a worse impression if you tried. I have made exactly the impression that I wished. I have indicated that it is unwise under any circumstances to cross me. From now on, I will perform my duties and you, yours. What do you think my duties are? Stop underage drinking, shoplifting, and other mindless misdemeanors of minors. Leave me to the murders, locked room mysteries, and lucrative third-party commissions. I can't wait until you get in trouble so that I can refuse to help you. In that case, I shall stay away from trouble. You will stay away from Italy if you know what is good for you. As both spaghetti and mobsters are abundant on these shores, I grieve not. Damn you to hell, will you be raped eternally by the ghost of the Etruscans? Duly noted. Get out of here, you ass. I'd like to know who taught you to hate fun. Ah, you enjoy parties, Melligan? Just leave! Unfortunately, Professor Kentwood had made a lifelong enemy, and matters only grew worse when he tried to disprove the popular notion that he had no sense of humor. He threw, or arranged to have thrown, a party in front of the university security office. It was difficult for anyone to enter or leave the office, and nearly impossible to drive cars out of the parking lot. I'd come to the party to apologize to the affected parties when I met... University President Roy Grackle. I wish I had been surprised by his presence. Doctor? Hey, what is your name? You teach here, right? I'm Dr. Sebago. Ah, Dr. Kentwood's servant. What are you doing at a party? I'm not sure if it wouldn't be a good idea to let people into the security office, just in case something happens on campus. Something is happening on campus, Professor Bringdown. It's called a party. Have you ever heard the saying, you only live once? Uh, everyone knows that phrase, Mr. President. Well, in the one life I'm living, I have to get this school competitive with all the other universities out there. I want us to be ranked number one. A football team would break the budget of the athletics department, so that's out. Lots of people use the U.S. News and World Report rankings to say who's best, but that's freaking stupid. Because they don't take the tuition into account. Lots of other studies are based on the other slipshod metrics, so I'm going simple here. The Princeton Review only judges schools based on parties, and it gets its findings straight from students. And students are a hell of a lot more qualified to judge parties than how well people like us are doing our jobs. The more parties I set up, the more likely we are to become number one in the chart. Since I've come here, we've gone from 167th best party school to the top 10, and I'm not stopping until we hit the top. Uh, I don't get it. 
If you don't get it by now, you won't get it ever. I believe I'm going to get to work on a keg stand now, so goodbye, and loosen up. I left the party shortly afterwards, but that did not keep me from hearing a cry in the distance. And thus, the relationship between the two men was poisoned from the start. Things nevertheless kept working out for Professor Kentwood, until they didn't. Hear about those unfortunate events, eventually, somewhat later, in my adventures of Kentwood. And in that story, of course, uh, Professor Eldridge Kentwood was Jacob Thompson, Dr. Daniel Sobego was Charles Berman, Doug Melgan was Daniel Schwartz, Francesca Baroni was Eileen Hanrahan, and President Roy Grackle was uh, Jordan Randall. Thank you very much, Frank. Your Honor, I'm done with this witness now. All right, so, um, Mr. Crapo Lawyer, do you have anybody else you'd like to call up to the stand? That's about it. Uh, he lied because he said he was dying and then he didn't die, so... He's got to pay. That's the, basically, that's what I'm doing. So I think I pretty much said that. All right. Well, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. White, uh, do you have anybody you'd like to, to call of a stand? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, first of all, I would like to call Mr. Reggie Sinclair. Reggie Sinclair. All right. Well, why don't we bring uh, Reggie Sinclair up to the stand? Uh, yes. Hello. Uh, hi. My name is, yes, Reggie Sinclair. Yes. All right, Mr. Sinclair. Uh, why don't you swear yourself in on that Bible, then? Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? In this reality, I do. But there is in another the, world. There is another world where I do. Well, let's do the trial in, in this reality. All right. All right. Well, you may examine your witness, uh, Cat. Mr. Sinclair is your man, right? Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, do you see this paper? I don't, I'm not holding it, but I'm kind of indicating it with my paw because I can't pick it up. Yes, yes, I do. Okay, can you read that for me, please? Uh, yes. uh, 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 object, object. What are you, how do you object? That's writing, that we, that, that's writing. He just wanted to strike everything with writing. Yeah, but he said no. Yeah, I, I didn't tell him, I didn't actually do it. Yeah, he's still being a hypocrite. This letter is not by Stephen King, probably. Yeah, well, what are you objecting to exactly? We didn't actually strike. I just him being a jerk. Go ahead. All right. So I should read this? Yeah. All right. Um, kindly have whomever is reading this do so in a deep, gravelly voice so that my typing style can remain anonymous. Thank you. Well, all right. I'm, should I do that? I mean, Your Honor, do I need to... Yeah, I think that that would probably get, a, get across the point of the letter better. All right. I'll do my best. Um... Investigative reporter Frank Allen, if you want to discover the truth, you have to follow the money. Who collected the check for portraying Patty, and who brought home the bacon for playing Kathy? Interesting thing about identical twins, their fingerprints are not the same. If only Rory's fingerprints were on record somewhere. No, there's no, I, this is, I, I don't think I should be reading this. Why is that? But, well, I think it's a trick. Well, we should still admit the trick into evidence so we know what the trick is. F well, fine. Then it's, it's signed, uh, Deep Throat, not Mark Felt, nor the porn film, a whole different informant. 
Oh, uh, uh, oh, this could be Stephen King, so we probably should strike it from the record. No, we're striking everything that is Stephen King, not everything that could be Stephen King. Uh, I'm just saying, we don't know. You know, he could have written in anonymously. That's why we're not striking, because we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know everything there is to know about identical twins. Well, I'm not an identical twin, so I don't know why you had me read this. You know, take, take it back, take it back. What does this have to do with lying about getting married? This is just, this is crap. You, you don't, you're not even doing something about some letter? Yeah, it's just about a letter. Do you know about letters? Yeah, I, I know about letters. I'm telling you, you should stick to, like, the subject. Okay, okay, I changed the subject. Uh, Mr. Sinjin. Um, are you talking to me? Because that's not my name. Oh, right. <laughs> Mr. Sinclair. Uh, were, were you talking to me before I dozed off? No, I was talking to him. I just was, I got his name wrong. You guys are related. To, to yes, I'm related to to Mr. Uh, Sinclair, who was related to uh, Rory Sinjin, and I'm I'm related to Frank uh, Sinjin by marriage. Therefore, I'm also related to Frank by marriage. Yes. Well, I th- I think we've established that pretty well. So everybody here is related. Well, I don't think I'm related to you. Ah. No, apart from that, though, everybody is related. Yes. No, uh, nobody here is related to me. Wait, wait, who are you? I'm the bailiff. Bailiff, wh- what's your name, bailiff? Well, my name is also Sinjin, but it's a coincidence and we're not related. Well, you might not be related to him, but my name is actually, uh, Beauregard Sinjin Tobacco. Ah. So you might be related to me. So... Basically, everybody here should get money when this guy dies. As a judge, uh, I can't say that's definitely true, but probably yes. Oh, except for the other lawyer. What, me? Yeah, you don't get oh, any I, money. I, I get a lawyer fee percentage, so yeah, I get money. You're not his lawyer, I am. Yeah, but I'm I'm Frank's lawyer, so he gets money when he dies, then I get a percentage of that. Is that true? Uh, yeah, that's just, in the contract. Just for delivering me money? Yeah, yeah, I wrote it in. Oh, that's not, that was not a good contract. I'm a lawyer, I write great contracts. Anyway, look, Mr. Sinclair, you were related to Mr. Sinjin, and you related to other Mr. Sinjin. Did you know he was dying? Uh, no, I, I was never aware of that fact. Right, because he's, because he's not, so that proves it. Your witness. Thanks. Uh, I don't know really why you're here. You weren't getting in the way of Diogenes Sinjin lying to Frank, were you? You just let him lie. I'm sorry, what? You know how Diogenes was lying to Frank? I, no, I wasn't there. I'm sorry, I didn't know. I didn't. You know weren't there when the whole thing happened? No, unfortunately, I wasn't. So you have nothing to disprove that he was lying? Well, I, I mean, other than uh, that I never heard that he was dying, but, you know. Do you hear about everybody that dies? Mm, as a historian, I, I hear about a good number of people who die. Right. And you never heard that he was dying? Correct. So he wasn't really dying, so when he said he was, he was lying. Or perhaps I never heard it because he wasn't saying it. But he was saying it. Are you sure? Yeah, we'd, like, have a letter where he wrote it. Well, he didn't tell anyone in his family that he was dying. So he was probably just lying to Frank. Do you think he was lying to Frank? Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, case Objection! To what? You were reading the witness. To, yeah, to say what I want him to say. Yeah, that you're not supposed to do that. Sorry. Yeah, well, I'm afraid the cat's right. You're not allowed to do that. Uh, I'm going to have to ask you to not do it next time. If it helps, I can say the opposite of what he had me saying. Wait, wait a minute. You're only supposed to say whatever's true. I don't know what's true, so I'm just saying whatever people say before me. You're a, kind of a useless witness. Ah, uh, I thought you might say that. I actually have some evidence that proves I'm a very good witness. Yeah, what's that? Well, let me play it for you. Here you are. Welcome to This Day in History. My name's Roy Sinjin and this is WHRW Binghamton. Back on September 9th, 1971, prisoners riot and seize control of maximum security Attica Correctional Facility near Buffalo, New York. Later that day, state police retook most of the prison, but 1,281 convicts occupied an exercise field called D-Yard, where they held 39 prison guards and employees hostage for four days. Hey, Bubba! 
What's up, James? You know what I really hate about this prison? The prison food? Yeah, there's so much fat in this food, I can't take it. It's so greasy. I know, I bet you it's trans fats, too. It's horrible. They're yeah. trying to kill us. Full of saturated fats and... Oh, God, it's disgusting. Now, Bubba, James, you two stop your complaining and get back to eating your food. I'm not even hungry. Hey, eat fellas. That food. Hey, fellas. Yeah? You know who's responsible for the food around here? Sodexo. That's right. Edgar Sodexo, the guard that was just yelling at you. Let's get him. And then let's get all the rest of them. Yeah, at him. Hey. Pow, ah! pow, pow. Take this! Bumble, bumble, right, right, right. Okay, now we're in control. I declare no fats in any of the foods here. Well, just a bit. No, none. Ha ha ha. But fats are an important part of your diet. They are? Yes. I've learned a lesson here. Okay, some fats, but no saturated or trans ones. Because I'm transphobic. And that person over there should have no gender reassignment therapy at all. When they did take back Attica Correctional Facility, they did listen to the lesson that the inmates learned, and while they did serve a little bit of fat, because it is important to the diet, they tried to avoid saturated and trans fats, as they are unhealthy for you. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Hello and welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. I am Rory Sinjin, back after being sick for a few days. On September 16th, 1620, the Mayflower sails from Plymouth, England, bound for the New World with 102 passengers. The ship was headed for Virginia, where the colonists, half-religious dissenters and half-entrepreneurs, had been authorized to settle by the British Crown. Okay, let's all get on the boat. Good thing I threw off all the food to make room for more people. Hooray! Now, why don't we throw off all the tackle, too? We don't need all these ropes and sails. Are we there yet? Good idea. No, we can't be there yet. We gotta throw off all this stuff. That way we can go faster. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. There are too many people on this boat. You should throw about half of them off. Why don't you come on with us? Splash! Splash! This is a fun ride. Let's get on again and they'll throw us right back off. Iceberg! Right ahead! Don't hit it! Let's aim for the iceberg! (laughs) Hit the iceberg! Yes! We need ice for our water! Bam! Look! Seagulls! They, that's where land is! Let's shoot it! And then go the other way! Blam! I'll wear this no, around no, no. my neck! No, like let's a go towards the land and throw rocks at the natives! Look! The Native Americans! They could probably help us! Let's kill them! <laughs> what a great idea! Not just rocks! Blankets! Let's throw blankets at them! Smallpox-infested blankets! <laughs> Even better! They left some food! Let's take it and stick it in our ears! Look! The food is rotted! Let's eat it! I'm sure it'll be healthy for us! No. Behold! Gentlemen, rotted corn. Now that we've discovered a new world, self-mutilation! Woo! Now where's George Bush? Let's elect him president. Yeah! And sadly, all the American colonists died shortly thereafter, which is why there is no America, and I was just making that word up off the top of my head. Which does go a long way to teach us that one should never do stupid things. They did an awful lot of stupid things, and don't do them. It's stupid to be stupid, and you'll come to a stupid end. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Hey, Rory St. John. Yes? Glad to have you back. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. Did you know that on September 23rd, 1966, officials at England's Royal Albert Concert Hall temporarily stopped a Rolling Stones concert when screaming girls attacked Mick Jagger on stage? The riotous enthusiasm of the fans resulted in a ban of pop concerts at the hall. Let's hear it. Ah! Oh! Ah! Oh! Oh! Stop! Ah! Stop! Stop tearing off my clothing! Ow! Whoa! Whoa! Sorry about that, Keith! Whoa! Don't hurt me! I'm just Charlie Watts! Oh, the spinal column! Whoa! 
Come man. on, legs, work with me! Man, they're Whoa. really tearing into that Mick Jagger lookalike I put on stage. Thank goodness I, the real Mick Jagger, shredded all of my receipts to stop him from stealing my identity before this concert. Please, I need my liver! And the fake Mick Jagger's partial identity theft was foiled by Mick Jagger shredding all his bank receipts, as everyone should do if they want to prevent actual identity theft. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Hello and welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. Did you know that on September 30th, 1938, British and French Prime Ministers Neville Chamberlain and Edouard Daladier signed the Munich Pact with Nazi leader Adolf Hitler? The agreement averted the outbreak of war but gave Czechoslovakia away to German conquest. Let's listen. Yo, Hitler. Yes? I've got this, uh pact you might be interested in, you know. I've been thinking if you stayed out of certain countries, the, the whole world might be a bit cleaner, so to speak. Uh, you may want to uh, put your name down. Everyone would be happier in the end, I think. Cleaner? What do you mean? I always shower. <laughs> I know, Adolf, but your your notion of, of murdering innocent people and leaving the bodies in the streets, as well as allowing your dogs to... Uh, it, it, it generally creates a poor impression. Quit sugarcoating this nitwit stuff, Mr. Chamberlain. You, Hitler, you walk your dog in all our countries, you never clean up after. Well, yes... I'm a fascist dictator. I can do what I want when I want. But there's nothing in fascism, is there, about about not cleaning up after dogs? Yes, there we, is. We in France have a specific distaste for smelling like poop. You certainly had me fooled. Okay, how about the, just Czechoslovakia? Well, I do love Czechoslovakia. Okay, I'll do it. Czechoslovakia, it is. They don't and, mind. and no dogs. And from that day forward, Hitler only walked his dog in Czechoslovakia until he, in fact, took him elsewhere and... Uh, then they killed him. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But order in the courtroom. My name's Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And you probably didn't think I paid attention to all of that, but I did because I am, in fact, a very good witness. In 1620, the captain of the Mayflower's name was, in fact, Sir James Sodexo. It was his idea to start throwing everything off of the Mayflower, which led to the terrible fate that they befell from doing stupid things, which one should never do. But coincidentally, he was also the only one who lived through the tragedy of the Mayflower and started the entire American country himself by fathering it with people who came later, so probably the country would have been fine without him. But the point is, flash forward over 300 years to the Munich Pact, which only occurred because one of Sodexo's descendants, Mr. Steve Sodexo, stepped in some poop when walking around in Europe. And he was the one who complained and said, it's so terrible that people are walking dogs and leaving poop all around, and it's probably this Hitler fella. And that's how they got the idea to just give him Czechoslovakia so that there wouldn't be poop around. This, of course, brings us to 1966, when Steve's son, Edgar Sodexo got a job impersonating Mick Jagger at the Albert Hall. Edgar got the terrible idea that it would be good to steal Mick Jagger's identity, and he gathered up all the documents that Mick Jagger had not shredded. But of course, as you know, it was Edgar, not Mick Jagger, who was assaulted by teenage girls at the Albert Hall. This put an end to his identity theft career, and he said, from now on, I'll be on the right side of the law, and moved to America and became a prison guard at Attica State. He was the one who was in charge of making the prisoners eat all of their food. And the prisoners were so mad that they rioted, and they killed Edgar Sodexo, just because they didn't want to eat so many saturated and trans fats, which are not good for you, so it is understandable. It's all a giant tapestry. It's all part of it, and it's all connected. You saw it here first. I am a good witness. My name is Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. 
So as you can see, I heard what was being talked about. Well, when I say I, I mean, hmm, Rory Sinjin. So that wasn't uh, so much me, was that, it? That proves you're a good witness to something. It doesn't prove you're a good witness in this case, because you don't know anything about it. Ah, here we are. It proves that I'm a good witness to the legal documents of Rory Sinjin. So when he would sign things, he would have me stand next to him and then sign my name next to him. Uh, okay, was, was, was Diogenes Sinjin lying? Or not. I never heard him lie. Did you hear him tell the truth? I have on occasion heard him tell the truth, yes. Did you hear him either way about whether he was sick and dying or not? No. Okay, we're done. I have a surprise witness! Uh, why is it a surprise? Well, do you know who it's gonna be? No. Well? Alright, who is it? Mr. Hank Fallon! Mr. Hank Fallon? Who's that? He's a dude. Is there a reason you're calling him to the stand? Because he's gonna prove the truth. Alright, whatever. Um, uh, where, where do I, where, where do I go with, uh, uh, Go up to the box, go up to the box. Oh, all right, uh, here, here I am. Do you swear to tell the truth? Put your hand on the Bible. Is that, is that this book? Yeah, it's the one that says, says Bible. Uh, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Like, for all time? Or just now? Just just for the now. Would you do that? Um, okay. I mean, I have nothing. I don't think I have anything to lie about. Sure. Okay. Well, why don't we let the uh, cat lawyer investigate you, interrogate you? Mr. Fowler. Hi. Yeah. You are Frank Allen's biggest fan. Absolutely, I'm his biggest fan. And that's 100% the truth. And I can prove it. I have a lot of evidence that nobody is a bigger fan than me. Of Frank Allen, and I have uh, big evidence that even if somebody was, I would be the second biggest. Your Honor, can we just take it as red that he's the biggest fan? I, I think we can just take it as red. I don't think we have any claimants to the throne. Okay. I can't read, but if we take it as red, that's, that counts. As long as it wasn't read and written by Stephen King. No. Right, then we're all right. Okay, Mr. Farrell, as Frank Allen's biggest fan, do you listen to every episode of the podcast? Yeah, I listen multiple times to every episode of the podcast. And usually I'm listening to either that or something else with Frank Allen. Now, when you heard Mr. Sinjin write in to him and say, Hey, I want to get married. What? Did, what? And then he said, I'm going to die. Did you think he meant soon? Yeah. That, and that was one of the biggest pieces of news in the Frank Allen fanosphere that's ever happened. Frank was getting married. There was all these theories about when it was going to happen and what would be the theme of the wedding and how long it would last. Like, would they get divorced soon? Right, so, it was amazing. And, so you thought he was going to die soon? Well, uh, yeah, he totally said he was going to. Oh, man. Diogenes, I thought he was going to say no. What? Why did you think he was going to say no? I told him I was going to die soon. Well, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't get it. You didn't hear me say that? I did, but I didn't care. But it doesn't matter whether you cared. It matters whether you heard me, so that's what you thought. Well, now, now this guy's saying... All right, hold on. Uh, Mr. Farron? Yeah? Are you sure? Totally, yeah. Uh, come on. Uh, come on what? What if... What if he said, maybe I would die soon? Then I would have thought that it wasn't so short. Yeah, that... Okay, can we take it as read that that's what he said? Well, no, he didn't say that. But what if he did? Then we would. Okay! Uh, anyway, uh, so then I kept listening, and, uh, um, it was really good. It was a good episode, and also I was taking notes. What do your uh, notes say? What do your notes say? The guy is gonna die really soon. Oh, come on! Frank is gonna... What? Every time it says that! Have it... 
different. You want notes from a different part? Yeah, yeah. yeah. This part says, and then Jordan read the letters. No, okay, that, that, forget it, forget it. I have more questions. Um, after Frank Allen got married, what did you do? Oh, I wrote fan fiction. What? About what? The wedding and the, uh, um, the couple. Do you want to read it? No. I think you have to. You, you swore on the Bible. Uh, uh, but I, I, you just said it. Do I want to? And I don't. Okay, do it. Do it. Do it. Uh, if really? I asked you what it said in your fan fiction, and you had to tell the truth, what would you say? Uh, uh, I, I don't uh, remember exactly. Well, if I asked you to read it off of the paper that you have in your pocket... Um, but, um... Are you going to object to this? Or what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I object. Uh, this doesn't have anything to do with it. It does. He's gonna, it's about their marriage. Yeah, but it doesn't say that he wasn't lying. He was clearly lying. And this guy thought it, that believed him because everybody would believe you if you say you're dying because nobody wants to be, like, rude. Okay, so. okay. I have a question. Mr. Fallon, in yeah, your fan fiction, yeah, yeah. is he dying? Oh, yeah. He's totally, like, dying. He's, like, they... they ha- mm. Yeah, it, it ends with him dying. Okay, let's hear it. Let's hear that part. Let's hear that part. Uh, uh, yeah. And then, exhausted, he let out one final uh, sticky word as he died, which was Frank. Okay, Your Honor. Yes? Now we could take it as read that he died. Well, we did read that he died. Yeah. But... But we have to understand that he didn't die because he's here, over there. Yeah, but legally, he died. So you're arguing that he's legally dead? Yeah. That's an interesting argument. Uh, can you produce any other evidence? We just, it, we were in a legal, you know, setting, and we heard that he died. Well, it was read as a fictional story that he died. Yeah, but it was read by somebody who swore on the Bible. That's not how laws work, though. That means it's the truth! No, you asked him to read a fictional story that he didn't want to read, and then you made him, but you already said it was fiction. Your Honor, I object. To what? You. What about me? You're wrong. But I decide that I'm right, so I say that's not true, I'm right. All right, well, we'll see. We'll see when the judgment comes in. I decide that... All right. Uh, do you want to cross-examine the witness? Yeah, 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 I'll do that. Uh, all right, guy. Uh, you believed he was lying, because he was, after you found out the truth, right? Oh, yeah, he was totally lying afterwards. I'm really rooting for Frank in this, because I'm his biggest fan. That's good, because I'm representing Frank. Uh, so uh, what do you think should happen? Uh, he, uh, Frank should get all the money, actually, is what I think. Uh, all right, sounds good. Thanks, we're done. All right, well, that's pretty conclusive. Uh, Escape, do you have any other witnesses you want to call? I have one more witness. What's that? No, who's that? I mean, who's that? Diogenes Syndrome. Oh, well, that's relevant. Why don't we bring up that? Yes, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Diogenes Syndrome here. Fabulously, fabulously wealthy, wealthy Diogenes Syndrome. I have a bunch of questions for you, dude. All right, I'm glad I don't have to swear on the Bible. What do you swear about? It's going to be true. Yeah, I'm afraid you do have to swear on the Bible. All right, I swear on the Bible that I will tell the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. <laughs> so help me, uh, God. Okay, question number one. Are you dying? Yes, definitely dying. Very, very much, uh, very much dying. Now, when you say that, 
you mean like today? Well, I hope not, but I never know. That's true, you never know, right? That's right. Did you hear the other guy say you died? Uh, I heard him say that, yes. Yeah, what's your, what's your position on that? I hope not to anytime soon, but I could because I'm dying. Are you dying of anything in particular? Oh, yes. Advanced Bartolabin's disease. What's that? Well, it's a disease that causes a lack of physical health, terminating in inevitable death. Okay, so you're definitely 100% gonna die. Yes. Is there any chance you're not gonna die? Certain no. There's no chance I'm not going to die. And when you die, before Frank Allen sued you, you were going to leave him your money. Yes, when I when I died, I was going to leave him my money, yes. So you didn't lie about anything, right? No. And you're really no. gay? Really, 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 really gay. Okay. Um, can you read this letter for us? Yes, I can read. Uh, what does the letter say? Where is it? Let me see. Here, the let me give it to you. It, it says, uh, Gentlemen, thank you for releasing the findings of the Meachams to the scientific community. Here at the European Council for Nuclear Research, CERN, we have worked closely with the European Council for Nuclear Research, but in a hat, CERNMDUK, uh, the European Council for Nuclear Research, but pandas, CERNAP, and the European Council for Nuclear Research with Delicious Grasses, CERNAD, as well as the benign machine intelligences, particularly Steve, and the Imperial Agency for the Advancements of Sciences, IAS. And we can confirm beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is nothing that constitutes a world or a reality beyond the nine worlds that make up our multiverse. Our ability to construct and utilize the Meacham gates, as we have taken to call them around CERN, has already begun to revolutionize science, technology, and culture. Though disappointed by the skepticism of your hosts, it is entirely understandable that they would be unhappy. After all, the practice of extra history for money outside of fiction is now considered gauche and preposterous at best, illegal in 93 countries, and the subject of numerous expensive class action suits in Europe and the Americas. The various public death threats extra historians have received can't help either, to say nothing of the newly established practice in Russia of hunting extra historians for sport. Naturally, we are pleased to invite the hosts of Cast and Wax, both in our world and in other worlds where they exist, on an all-expenses-paid trip through the Meacham Gates to any world or worlds of their choosing, like the Meachams, who we have been delighted to present not only permanent positions on the Council, but also the Nobel Prizes for Peace and Physics, seeing closed pictures of them accepting these awards in matching tuxedos and bumping fists, you have places in the annals of scientific and social history as the heralds of a glorious new age. Again, our thanks. Sincerely, Rolf Dieter Heuer, PhD, Director General, European Council for Nuclear Research. Sir. Objection, objection, uh, objection! What is your objection? I, can I please, give me this, please. I object, Your Honor. Oh, wait a minute, you're not the lawyer. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the lawyer. No, I'm not a lawyer, but I, I do have a strong objection to that letter being read. Well, why do you object to the letter? Well, because it's, you know... Not true. Well, the the writer of the letter isn't on oath. We're entering it into evidence. But but he's 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 under oath, so that means it's true. It only means that he has to tell the truth, not that he can't read things that are lies. No, it means anything he says becomes the truth. No, I'm the judge. I know what it means. Well, I'm the lawyer, and I know what it means. No, you're not a lawyer. You're just a cat pretending to be a lawyer. But I still know what it means. No, you don't, because you're wrong, and I know what it means. Oh, come on! Well, look, it doesn't matter whether or not... You say it's true because of one thing, and you say it's not true at all. Extra history is a completely valid exercise 
And, you know, while that might be true on some worlds, like the nine worlds it's talking about, it doesn't mean it's true on all worlds. All right, well, we can enter into the record that you think that. Now, Mr. White, if we're going to continue, you what? need to behave like an actual lawyer. Okay, okay, I'll behave like a lawyer. Can you prove that even though you're a domestic animal, you can still be trained to behave properly? Well, yeah, well, technically, animals can be trained. Well, can you prove that you can be trained like that? Uh, well, I think the biggest proof is how well-behaved I am, but I have some more evidence, if that's what you're wondering. All right, let's see. Well, see it with your mind when you close your eyes and listen to this. Lessons from the Life of Nathan Van Etten. Season 2, Lesson 13. Obedience Obliterates Nathan Van Etten. by Pete Bowers and Charles Berman. All around us are signs of the totalitarian international Jewish bankers' New World Order secret government. We must constantly be on the lookout and eliminate their attempts to subjugate us whenever possible. Central to their plot and standing forlorn outside a dog obedience school is Nathan Van Etten. What are you talking about? Your secret Jewish plot to rule the world. That is not a secret! And I'm not Jewish! But how is that helping? I've been thrown out of the only home I have left, the Margaret Salisbury nose-bombed school for dog obedience, and tossed on the street. I have nowhere to go. I might starve unless I find food. And I don't know how to do that. Use your piles of ill-gotten gold. I, I, I don't have piles anymore. And I'm about to starve. Help! Help! Wait, I'll make a sign. We'll scream help. For food. Oh, being a vagrant is horrible. Aren't you planning to eat some Christian children or something? God, voice, shut up! I'm not Jewish or rich, and I don't eat Christian children. That is disgusting. I want a good old-fashioned, deep-fried Twinkie casserole. Hostess brand, of course. I can only get that at the home that I've been thrown out of and replaced with Jane. All I want is love. A place to live. Free food, unlimited resources to pursue my hobbies, people doing my every whim, Star Wars action figures, authentic Blake's seven props and costumes. Oh, oh, and a corduroy football would be cool. Oh, wow, I could go on forever. I noticed. Greedy. Hey, why is this so hard? I am abandoned! What are you going to do about it? Lone shark until you're wealthy again? Wow, we've never actually met, have we? I'm gonna sit here until somebody helps me. Of course. Mrs. Nussbaum? Come on, Nathan, in the car, I've got Scoob. Now get in. Sit. Arf! You won't believe it, but I thought I was abandoned. I was lost and there weren't even any reward posters up with my picture on them or anything. No, Nathan, we always return our students to their owners. And you are a person. We don't put lost dog signs up for people. God, you're just like my dad. The dog's right there, peeing on your back seat. What? Yeah, I figure you must be used to it since you run a dog school. No, I train them not to do that. I can't believe... Uh... Wait, did you say it was number 62? Yes. You couldn't have walked this, it's two blocks. 
Do you expect me to know the way everywhere? No, just this one really short, completely convenient, hardly break a sweat way. Come on. Hello? Are you Mr. Van Etten? That is indeed my name. Please, feel free to use it as often as you would like. You must be the new neighbor, and my elsewhere-dwelling son, Nathaniel. How kind of you to stand outside the door while the neighbor visits. Are you considering making your way towards the obedience school this week? Sir, I'm Margaret Salisbury Newsbaum from the Margaret Salisbury Newsbaum and Obedience School. I'm here to return your son. We trained him, as we are not an obedience school that shirks on our responsibilities, but in the future we want you to be completely aware that our school is for animals only. We will not feed your son. We will no longer give him a place to sleep. The bathrooms are for paying customers only. My business is not a university. Great place you sent me to, Dad. Thanks. Normally in a situation such as this, well, none of this would be happening since this has never happened before. We were about to call Child Protective Services on you, but your son is legally an adult. So we raised your bill considerably. The dog that your pet offspring brought with him to obedience school, another unheard of occurrence, is just so you know, untrainable. This is just not done. Actually, among the Maasai people of Southern- And never mistreat your children at my place of business again. Here is your bill and his report card and his bag of doggy treats. Congratulations, Nathaniel. You seem to have misunderstood my instructions completely and passed dog obedience school with flying colors. Hold on. Not meaning to interrupt. That is plainly an interruption. And not meaning to tell you how to raise your adult child. But you do that frequently, Jane. You are far more interested in the subject than I am. But does this mean that the dog isn't trained and Nathan is? Yes. Thank you for spelling it out so clearly. Okay. In that case, Nathan, sit! Arf! Okay! Wow. Go get it. Not yet. What? You're supposed to give me a treat when I do it. This? Mmm. Milk bone, of course. Go get it. Arf, arf. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought I'd say so, but this is actually really pitiful. Undeniably the case, Jane. Nathaniel, you may abandon your dog training. So long as you care for your own dog... I would prefer that you try to behave like a human being. There are, unfortunately, no training schools for this. Kindergarten? If only Nathaniel's presence there would not lead to his arrest in a society whose mores are so squarely against apparent child molestation. Now, Nathaniel, go walk this dog. Do what now? Go outside, walk down the street, and have Scoob with you. Oh wow, that sounds great! I really need to poop! And Scoob can show me how to get back! You know, I was going to uncover this big conspiracy and everything, but after what I've just witnessed, I've come to the conclusion, you're too stupid to be Jewish. Maybe. Jane showed me a copy of their handbook one time, and it was all in another language I don't even speak. Well, I'm glad I could come to an agreement. Maybe you, too, will come to the agreement the next Wait, wait a minute! I think I've really learned a lesson today. What? Sit, beg, roll over, sick, lie down, fetch, play dead, stay, spin around. As I was saying, maybe next time you'll listen to lessons from the life of Nathan Van Etten. And 
need not wrestle the wife of Nathan Van Allen. The voice was Trista Hoyt. Nathan Van Allen was Mickey Voicener. Jane was Aaron Marcy. Nathan's dad was Daniel Schwartz. Margaret Salisbury Nussbaum was Sir Diaz. So, now you know, I'm a good lawyer. Well, that just proves that humans can't even be trained effectively. Ah, look, okay, I'm gonna try again. Mr. Sinjin, okay? Yes, yes. Did you write a fight? Totally didn't lie, no. Okay, did you swear on your Bible? Yes, I swore on the Bible. Oh, then, then you can't physically lie. I could physically lie, I just decided not. You're ruining my argument. Oh, yes, you're right. I can't physically lie. Thank you. Also, there's not enough room for you to lie down. You're right, I can't lie down. Okay, so all of all this I is All I can true. do is bribe. I can't even lie. No, what? Bribe? Yes, the only thing I could possibly do is offer money or things to go my way. Ah. Well, I mean, I don't think you need to because I'm making a pretty good argument. No, no, of course I don't need to. It's not allowed. Okay, so, now the defense rests. All right, uh, Mr. Roma, do you have any questions? Yeah, totally got some questions. Um, Yep, definitely got some questions. All right, so, uh, Mr. Sinjin, uh, you said that you were dying, is that correct? That's right, I'm afraid I was dying. I am dying, very, very badly dying. And uh, you said you were uh, extremely sick, right? Yes, of course, very sick. And uh, what, what were you sick with? A bodily disease. And uh, is that a real disease? Oh, probably very real. Yes, certainly. How did you get uh, diagnosed with that disease? Well, I went to a, a, a doctor, and uh, I said I was very sick. And the doctor said, you look like you have bodily disease. You produce a prescription or any kind of statement about this to proof? No, no, I didn't. I didn't get that. I didn't. I didn't think that was necessary. Oh, objection! Uh, what's your objection? He did have a statement. We read it earlier. I, uh, I was talking about like a signed statement or something from a, like a medical certificate or something like that. Uh, just Not just a, like a letter to a podcast. An email? Yeah. Come on. What do you want? It's a real podcast. All right. Do you have any other kind of statement? No, no, no. no I didn't. I didn't think that was necessary. Who would believe that someone would not be dying who said they were? Yeah. All right. And so once you got this diagnosis, how long did they give you to live? Oh, uh, they didn't say. They just said, uh, not very long. You should probably get married as quickly as possible. So you're very happy, right? Uh, now, you, you're not dead yet. Uh, now, why do you think that is? Uh, no idea. No idea. I think it's you know, the rejuvenating effect of, of a lot of a lot of rough gay sex. Oh, come on. So, uh, what is that, you're, you're, uh, you're Mr., uh, Mr. Sinjin? It, it doesn't rejuvenate. It hurts. I probably have lost a few years of life, unless he's some sort of sex vampire. Well, are you are you dead? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, why, why would it not be rejuvenated? Are, are you dead? I'm saying I'm going to die sooner. All right. Well, I mean, I think that we need a scientist. We're going to really ask scientist. him if he's a sex vampire. Are you a sex vampire? Uh, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not a sex vampire. No, I'm certainly not. No, I, I'm just an honest man who has lots and lots of money, and I'm dying very, very, very soon. So you, you know, you, you don't have any kind of actual prescriptions or diagnosis, and you just say you're dying, but you don't seem to be dying. Is it possible the doctor was, I don't know, lying to you when this happened? Oh, no, 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 no. Doctors, doc, the doctor wouldn't do that. I mean, if the doctor had something to gain from it, like, you know, sex, then it, it would be very understandable for the, for the doctor to lie. Uh, and I could certainly see why, why they would do that. But in this case, no, the doctor had nothing to, to gain, so there would be... Would, be any reason to lie. So you're saying that if there's something to gain, it's okay to lie. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't saying that. 
I just, you know, people do that all the time. It's, I, I understand the motivation. Yes. I mean, I, I mean I, as a person with lots of money, you have to understand sometimes you need to lie to get lots of money. Like, like Frank is, is lying about me lying to him. Uh, uh, objection. Uh, yeah, yeah, objection. All right. What, what's your objection? Uh, double objection. And what's your objection? My objection is he can't object to his own self. All right. Uh, and what's your objection? Uh, Frank had the objection. Frank, what was it? Um, I don't know. He was lying. Overruled. Continue. Wait, I was overruled? You're both overruled. Ah! So in short, uh, you didn't really have an official diagnosis. You just had a name of a disease that you didn't know what it was or how long it was going to live. Yes, that's right. So I, I was very worried about how soon I was going to die. So I got married as, as soon as possible. All right. I'm done with this witness. All right. Well, that seems to be about the trial. Uh, why don't we move into closing statements? Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, I'll go first. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the audience, pretty clear. This guy wanted to have lots of rough case sakes. He had some made-up disease that no doctor has ever actually claimed as a disease that Scape White couldn't actually prove was a disease and said that he had this disease, lied to Frank about having it so Frank would marry him for the money. My client is a good-hearted, believing, credulous, naive guy. All he wants is lots of money. He thought this was a great way to do it by bringing this rich old guy happiness in his twilight years and also marrying him for the money to get the money. And then it turned out he wasn't dying. Now, Frank's not really gay. He had to have all this gay sex for a long time. This is totally illegal. And there's proof for it. I've got a letter here from an actual lawyer explaining why this is illegal. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. Dear Mr. Alan Sinjin, it has come to my attention that you entered into a legally binding marriage contract. The stipulations of the aforementioned contract was that you would wed one Diogenes Sinjin with the exchange of rough gay sex for his dying. The stipulation of Mr. Sinjin dying alluded to the fact that you would inherit a large sum of money and it has been contested by relatives of your husband. You appear upset at the prospect your husband was not in fact dying and merely lied to coerce you into bed with him. You are right, Mr. Allen Sinjin, this is a breach of contract. If you walked into the contract with the agreement of marriage and with the promise of Mr. Sinjin passing away shortly thereafter, then Mr. Sinjin is contractually obligated to uphold his end of the agreement and die. I hope this helps and best wishes to you resolving your legal issues. Iris Locke, attorney at hell. Well, I think that's pretty clear. Mr. Sinjin here is obligated to die. If he's unwilling to do that within a reasonable time frame, we are going to require the money from him immediately while he's still living. I think that's perfectly reasonable with that. All right. Well, that's an interesting letter from a from an actual lawyer. Aren't, aren't you an actual lawyer? Totally. I'm also actually a lawyer. I just didn't write myself a letter because that would be tough. All right. Well, that, that's fair enough. And uh, Mr. Watt, do you have any uh, closing statements? Oh, yeah. Very much so. First of all, I have a letter, too. That I think what I does the letter say? Yeah, I'm going to... I can't read it, but I have memorized it. I'm going to tell you what it says. All right. What it does says, it say? Dear Jordan Frank and Scape, First and foremost, I sent congratulations to Frank Allen for his recent nuptials. Everyone in my household salutes you for taking such a bold stance for human rights. We should all be around to whomever we choose, and you and your husband stand as a shining example of this principle. I'm also writing to you again to thank you for supporting my efforts in releasing a line of waxwork-inspired novelty items. I must admit, the playing cards have not sold as well as I have hoped, but 
in light of recent events, I'm planning to release a new series of playing cards featuring Frank Allen as Queen. I will send a complimentary deck to each of you as soon as they are available. Once again, congratulations to Frank, and keep up the great work. All the best. Uh, and then his name is like weird, dude. It's like Elifir Gurnarsen something. So, I'm sure you could tell, the point being, just because you read a letter doesn't mean it matters. What I want you all to understand, okay, is first of all, he said he was dying. Well, he is dying. We're all dying. So that was the truth. Second of all, you heard it yourself with your own ears. He already died. A guy said it on the stand. That means it's true. So either he was telling the truth, or maybe he already did die. And also, if he did tell a guy just so he could get some sex with a dude, I think then that case, the whole, the whole of America is on trial because everybody does that. So come on, let he everybody who is everybody lies so they can have sex with the dude. Well, everybody lies so they can have sex. So let he who is without a guy for sex convict the first dude. Well, Wait, I'm not done! Okay. I have another letter to read, just in case you're not convinced. Okay. Here's a letter that I got to the Castorax email. Hey, Castorax people and listeners, need a hitman? Good rates, Greg X. Okay, that's it. That was a very short letter. Yeah, but I think it was pointed. And what? <sighs> you know, now I know. I'm just saying, now I know. All right, well, this is a very, very interesting case, and uh, here's what I'm going to ask. Mr. Sinton. Do you mean me or him? I, I know. I meant him. Oh. Uh, yes, yes. Well, clearly this letter indicates that you're expected, uh, you, you are expected to die, and I, I just want to let you know, if you do choose to die, uh, the case will be over. Is is that something you're planning to do or you're willing to do in order to, uh, to resolve the case? Well, no, no, I mean, I am planning to die eventually. I'm, I, I mean, I'm not planning to die at a particular moment, but I'm planning eventually to, to have to die, yes. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm not going to, to immediately do it. It could happen any moment because I'm very, very dying. But I'm not going to, um, to hurry the process along. I'm going to wait Wait until the dying happens. Well, looks like we're gonna have to find a legal solution to this. Spread the baby! Spread the baby! Well, I don't think they have a baby. Oh. Do you have a baby? No. No, no, no. We're, we're, That's not we're, physically... We're, we're gay. Poss- well, I mean, not gay. We're both, we're both men. Yeah. Well, here's what I decide. Um, uh, Ms. Locke's letter was correct that you were legally obligated to die, but... Considering killing people is illegal and the death penalty is not prescribed for a breach of contract, I can't allow that to happen. Now, Mr. Roma, your client, makes a good point. He was expecting Mr. Sinjin to die very, very soon. So what I'm going to uh, declare is that he's released from the marriage contract. Oh, okay. You are no longer married by my powers as a judge. This wedding is a no. Wait, wait, wait. Is that... but... Do I get anything in way of compensation for all the sex I have? Compensation for the sex you had? Well, no, that was that was part of the marriage 
when it was in effect. Yeah, but it still happened. I still got sexed. Well, that's true. Was that not consensual sex? Well, it, I mean, it was, but it was contingent sex, and you can't annul my sex. No, we're, we, that's, why, that's right. That's why I only annul the, the marriage. So, I mean, at least I should get, you know, vouchers for some good meals. Well, I actually know the owner of the restaurant down the street, the German restaurant, and I, I can get you a voucher for that. All right, I'll take it. Here yeah, he, he, you are. Oh, Here's a voucher for that. It's a free German meal. They've got very good uh, strudel and that, those potato noodles. It's good. Oh, okay. Cool. I mean, I had a lot of sex, though. Or just... Do you, I, I can get you another voucher. All right. I, two, is, I, two is about all I can do. But I, I mean, can I guess I'll take it. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen of the viewing audience and in the courtroom, I hereby declare this case closed. Well, Your Honor, Your Honor, where, what am I going to do for, for, for gay sex? You're, well, you, could, you have a lot of money, right? Yes, yes, I do have a lot of money. Now, I can tell you where it's possible for you to get gate sex using that money. Uh, just we'll discuss it. We'll discuss it afterwards. How you can do that? Oh, all, all right. So I should I should meet you later. Yes, yeah. Meet me later. We'll bring the bring all the lots of money. All right. I I think that's a good idea. All right, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed the show and the trial and come back next week for Judge Beauregard Tobacco. All right, as Judge Tobacco leaves the uh, courtroom. So, Mr. Allen, how do you feel about your uh, outcome of the trial? Uh, I mean, I got the two vouchers. I guess that's better than nothing. I, I mean, I was really hoping that he would make him give me all the money, and I got none of it. So, I guess this is a loss. Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, did you, did you want to stay married to him? Uh, not if I don't get the money. So, I mean, I, I guess actually he did sort of split the baby. I do it. I knew he was. I knew he was gonna do that, guys. I knew he was gonna split the baby. You go. I'm gonna cut your baby in half, and then they go. All right, but I want the good half. All right, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Sinjin, how do you feel? Well, I feel fantastic. I and I. Well, I. Yeah, I'm, I'm divided. Really, I do feel fantastic that I wasn't forced to die, because I really would would hate would hate dying. And I'm. I be as someone who is dying. I'm. I'm I thought you said you, you do have to die. I have to die, yes. I just want it to be as long from now as, as possible. So yeah. I'm glad I don't, I don't have to do it right now. Um, but I'm also, you know, um, very, very disappointed at what a, a terrible tragedy for gay rights this whole thing was. Oh. Just because I'm a dying man in my last days and I haven't died yet, Judge Tobacco decided to rule against gay marriage oh. and and set back the gay rights movement decades and and decades and i think that anyone out there who is, who is gay lesbian bisexual transgender or, or even a friend of anyone who is or sympathetic to the cause or or, or socially liberal or even just a good-hearted person with a good conscience ought to do everything you can to stop frank allen and to stop Beauregard tobacco because they are doing everything they can to make life hell on earth for the gay people of this country. Oh, you think they are homophobes? They're, they're worse than homophobes. They're homo-haters. Homo-haters! Yes, and they must be stopped by whatever method you can. But I just want to clarify, I still, I still won this trial, right? Well, we, they kind of split the baby. Yeah, but that's what I told them to do, so that means I win. Well, we won the important part. It was yeah. just the money. I win, guys, I win! Well, yeah, you dead, but they're not married anymore. That was the important part. Win! Thank you, Scape. You, you definitely uh, you definitely were there while I won. Okay, 
Hi, everybody. That's the end of the show. Uh, that's not, that's for me to say. That's not for you. That's the end of the show. Get moving.